Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I did old, uh, some poll. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270 a fan. Mall. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome, everyone, the Tim Graham Show on 1270 The Fan, presented by CTBK, Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. If you can't tell from the voice, this isn't Tim Graham, this is Jonah Bronstein, normally here producing the Periscope live broadcast, and I'm doing it again, but there's nobody behind the camera to keep things from going off the rails, which they tend to do. we got producer Bobby Rosati in here. Keeping the radio and the audio, all of that on the rails. So if the video messes up on you, just close your eyes and listen to what Bobby has to present for all of us. Also not with us, Matthew Fairborn, normal co-host, but he's down at the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis with Tim. We're going to check in with Matt to see what's going on with the Bills. Brandon Bean spoke yesterday. Sean McDermott spoke yesterday in Indy. The Bills are obviously down there scouting prospects for the NFL draft. Matt Fairborn's doing his own scouting and talking to players and coaches and scouts and everybody that is in Indianapolis to gather some information for the Athletic Buffalo. He's going to report back. Tim Graham's also there doing none of the things we just mentioned Matthew Fairburn doing. In the second hour, it's a big week for the Sabres, Bobby. They got two players at the trade deadline. Brandon yeah. Bot- Jason Bottrell finally made a move. Well, he had made a move earlier, but he finally sure. made the deadline move that people wanted <laughs> yep. on deadline day. Got Wayne Simmons. Got Dominic Cahoon. We're going to talk to John Wiro. He's going to join yeah. us for a full hour in studio to break down those trades, how that affects the Sabres and their playoff push, whether this is what Dwayne and the rest of the fans wanted or does that not really satisfy uh, the angst that Sabres fans have felt throughout much of this season. Maybe if you got any thoughts on that, you could call in in that second hour talk to John Wiro. we got a special guest, Jerry Sullivan, formerly of the Jerry Sullivan Show. He's going to tell us what he's been up to lately, maybe chime in on the Sabres. He just wrote a column on them for the Niagara Gazette the other day before the deadline. So we'll get Jerry Sabres' thoughts. And, you know, that's about it. As I said on Twitter, the theme is sportscasters, sports writers that I respect, which is why we're not going to talk to Tim. Right. We're going to talk to the people that he's I absent. respect the most in this business. John mm-hmm. Wiro, Jerry Sullivan, Matthew Fairburn. But first joining us on the line, maybe the sports writer I respect the most in all of Western New York, down in Olean, writing for the Olean Times Herald, longtime sports editor there, now columnist covering the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, Buffalo Bills. Chuck Pollock, how you doing, Chuck? I'm doing very well, Joan. It could be a lot worse. You know, I've covered the Bills for 48 years, and I never once have been to the Combine, and it's not on my bucket list, so I think oh. we're fine. Yeah, go. I was going to say, what are you really missing? I, I, I've never been there, so I, I don't know. Maybe it is a worthwhile experience, but I sometimes I wonder why there's such a rushed by everybody in the NFL media contingent to be in Indianapolis this weekend. But I also get it. There's a lot of things going on. 
there are a lot of things going on, and, and, and really what's happened is because of social media and because so many things are available online, I think fans become amped up and they become kind of amateur sleuths and want to check out what players are like, and it all of a sudden becomes a 20 you know, 24-hour thing, 12 months a year. And, and I, I love pro football. I love college football. But I don't mind chasing it on a bit of a more seasonal basis. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's my problem. I don't have a problem with it. But I disengage a little bit from the NFL when it's in the off season. I'll pay attention to the draft and who are some of the stars coming out of the combine. But I don't sweat it day to day and, and reading mock drafts in February, or two months before the draft. And I think that makes it a little more fun on draft day because you're not in the position where the team that you cover or the team that you might be rooting for is not doing what you think they should have done. You kind of just let it unfold and watch. But obviously there's tons and tons of NFL fans, tons and tons of Bills fans who are very engaged in this day-to-day coverage 365 days a year. No question. And, of course, the blessing for me, and it's an easy out, not following that stuff so closely, is because being from a smaller paper, um, I've got St. Bonaventure basketball, and the focus in this area, in the southern tier, is on the Bonnies, so it's really kind of a nice break. Well, that's why we brought you on today. As you mentioned, you've been covering the Bills for 48 years. I'd assume you've been covering the Bonnies for something close to that. Exactly right. I I actually started the... um, second half of the 1972-73 season as a columnist. We've always had a beat writer, but that was the last season that Larry Weese was head coach, and then after that year he devoted himself full-time to the uh, to being athletic director. But needless to say, the program is it's also very popular naturally in Buffalo and Rochester because there are so many alums, but it's really been a lot of fun. And it's as soon as the bill season ends for me to be able to pursue this more closely. And it's as over the years, there've been a lot of reasons to be enthused about this team. And St. Bonaventure this year is having a, a very good year. It's not one of the best years in school history or anything like that, or maybe even the best year in recent history, but it's a good year. I think they're having, if I were to power rank the big four teams, I'd probably put them slightly above UB right now, even though UB beat them head-to-head. But Bonaventure's 18-9, and coming off a big home win against Richmond, hosting Duquesne tonight. You're going to be out of that game at the Riley Center. Can you just break down for us a little bit of what's been happening with the Bonnies lately? Why are they playing so well? And what type of season do you feel like they're having at this point, uh, You know, end of February, going into March? Jonah, I've got to say they've had a remarkable season, and here's why. This team starts four sophomores and a freshman. Their top two subs are a freshman and a redshirt sophomore. There's only one senior on the team, um, and Amadi Pise is kind of basically your backup at center, but this is a very young team. And, you know, the thing is, this team started one in four, and you said, uh-oh, what's, what's going on? Well, what, what went on was that in the opener – Oshun Oshunayi uh, suffered an injury, a knee injury. And so he paid, played 11 minutes in the opener, missed the next four games, and then uh, they went one and four and in that span. And then he got hurt again and missed three hugely important games against the best teams in the Atlantic 10. So when he plays, when he plays at least 18 minutes, this team has lost only once. 
So he's he's the guy who makes things happen. I, I think you realize, and, and it amazes me when I reflect back over the years I've covered this team, this program has had extraordinarily good luck with guards. Marcus Posley and Matt Mobley and, and Jalen Adams and Shandu McNeil and Marcus Green, these players have been outstanding. And, of course, it's difficult to get – good players at an Atlantic 10 level to come to Olean, a place that's by any measure a rural a rural area, Catholic school, under 2,000 students. But amazingly, there are just certain coaches, particularly like a, a Jim O'Brien, a Jimmy Sadlin, Larry Weesey for sure, and, and currently now Mark Schmidt, have had a way of steering some of those players here. And all of a sudden, you know, the Atlantic 10 is a pretty good league, 14 teams, and the Bonnies right now are tied for third. Uh, they've been around. Uh, they invariably, invariably outperform where they're picked to be in the, in the, in the preseason poll. So people here are, are pretty excited, and they're playing their best basketball right now. So... This is this has been a very very good year. They're they're 18 and nine. My guess is they'll they'll win three of their last four. So now you're talking 21 and eight heading into the Atlantic tournament, Atlantic 10 tournament. And if they finish with that record, they will avoid the play-in round, which was never a factor. But they'll also they'll also avoid the second round. So immediately they'll have a berth in the quarterfinals. And, of course, as you know, college basketball coaches welcome any opportunity to be able to play less games when you're trying to advance. You mentioned where Bonaventure is in the standings, tied for third in one of those top four slots that would get the double bye. And then if you look at the net rankings and some other power rankings, they're lower down in the conference. They're more, you know, eighth on Kempom. I think that's the same among Atlantic 10 schools. How do you really square that in terms of, you know, this is maybe a four-bid league, if not a five-bid league. Is Bonaventure one of those four or five teams that could possibly get in the NCAA tournament if they make a run? How many games might they need to win? Or is that off the table because of that slow start? I, I, it might be off the table, but if they would go on a run, let's say they win out during the regular season. The one game I question is they end the season at St. Louis, and St. Louis is pretty good. But um, if you go into the tournament and maybe if you get to the semifinals, which is which is another win, does 23 wins do it in, in this league? What's really weird about this, Jonah, and I, it, I make no sense of this, the team that was the landslide winner of the preseason poll was Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth, 29 first place votes. And right now, VCU, which has an ridiculously rabid fan base is seven and seven. They're eighth in the league. But to give you another example, how goofy the A-10 can be, a week and a half ago, Davidson came in here and won by 29, 29 on Bonner's home court. Horrible, horrible loss. The following week, they went to winless St. Joe's, winless in the Atlantic 10, and lost by one. And if you can tell me why that happens, I have no idea. The, this past Saturday, Bonner beat Richmond, which is a huge win because that's the team they're tied with uh, for third in the A-10. Uh, they're both 10-4, and four, but they only play once this year, so Bonner has the head-to-head advantage. But I, I, I talked to 
Chris Mooney after after the game, and uh, Chris is the Richmond coach, and he runs the Princeton offense, and he he has a very very good team, and he could make no sense out of the idea that Davidson comes in, wins here at twenty nine, goes to St. Joe's and lose by loses by one. So it really has been kind of a weird year, and I'm wondering. I I think it would not be a surprise if the conference is only looking at three bids and it, to be one of them, I almost think the Bonnies would have to get to the final. You know, you wrote in your Ole Times Herald column coming off that Richmond game, Dayton, which is the best Dayton team in history, they're saying, number five in the country right now, and they only got one first-place vote out of 28 voters in the preseason poll to, to win the league. So not to say they didn't expect them to be good, but people didn't expect a lot of things from a lot of teams in Atlantic 10 this year. No, no, and it's, you know, those of us who work in this business, yourself included, you know, we're, we're called upon to make quantitative judgments on teams and where they'll finish and how they perform, and we have access maybe to more information than other people do, and maybe we look at things more closely than the average fan. I, I'm sure we do, but there's only so much wisdom that is imparted to us and and little things personality conflicts uh injuries all sorts of little things impact where teams where teams can be i you know i look at a <laughs> i look at a team like north carolina and i've never seen a record like that for north carolina ever yeah. i'm sure maybe it did exist 35 years ago but it's it's kind of a wake up call you say well how does North Carolina all of a sudden come up with a losing record and is not going anywhere unless somehow they win the conference tournament. It's just weird. Now with Bonaventure picked fifth in that preseason poll, so they're right. They're they're slightly overachieving in terms of that in Atlantic Ten right. play. But a lot of people expected Bonaventure to have a really good year with three players who were freshmen last year, sophomores now, Kyle Lofton, Oshuna Shuni. Dominic Welch here from Cheektowaga, the all-time leading scorer in Western New York basketball. Watching him this season, what have you seen of his development as a player from year to year? And he seems to be playing better lately than he was earlier in the season. You're, you're exactly right, Jonah, and that's been my response. I, I, when you put up numbers as he did when he was in high school, you expect you're going to get a score, but he, he didn't necessarily show that last year. But this year, he's been a different player. And what's nice is, uh, and again, I was talking about the guards earlier, but the current, <laughs> the, the guard du jour uh, for St. Bonaventure this year is Kyle Lofton. And he has been absolutely fantastic about getting the ball to, to his teammates. His, his percentage of assists as opposed to turnovers is, is ridiculous. It's 165 assists and 69 turnovers. That's absolutely outstanding. And one of the benefactors has, has been Welch. And, and, and for whatever reason, it seems as if every game his, comfort, his confidence really escalates. And, and it's interesting to me that, you know, and I know coaches use this phrase all the time, but at, at the point we are in the season now, you could argue that, despite what they were at the beginning of the season, basically now the Bonnies are starting four juniors and a sophomore because they're almost through this season, and they've improved incrementally all along. And the cliche is you want to be playing your best come late February, early March, and you can argue that that's been, with, with the notable exception of that loss to Davidson, uh, that's exactly what the Bonnies are doing. 
We're on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline right now with Chuck Pollock from the Olean Times-Herald covering St. Bonaventure basketball tonight against Duquesne. Now, we talked earlier about what St. Bonaventure might need to do to make a run to be on that bubble for the NCAA tournament. We, we think it probably might take getting all the way to the Atlantic 10 final, winning almost every game remaining on the schedule. Maybe they could lose one regular season game and, and that final game, you know, doing that math. Maybe if they make a run all the way to the semifinals before their first loss, that could be enough. But if they come short of that, it does seem like they have a good case to possibly be an NIT team. Now, a few years back when St. Bonaventure was left out of the NCAA tournament, hosted an NIT game, it wasn't very well received. The fans, I think, felt slighted, the players and, and the team maybe as well. You know, what do you think this season, would that be appreciated more? Would an NIT run be something that Bonaventure fans would be happy with from this team this year? I, I, I think it would, Jonah. It's, it's, that was an awful, awful mess. And, and uh, Coach Martelli from St. Joe's was a huge Bonna advocate that year. Dick Vitale was a Bonna advocate that year. And the irony, of course, is the team that basically took Bonna's place in the NCAA tournament that year was Syracuse, which, of course, that's that for years and years pre-Atlantic 10. That was Bonna's biggest rival. Now, watch the irony, this is, of course, this is Radio Home of Syracuse basketball. They're coming up after this, so well, keep you that know, in mind. I, they they just uh, that was a, a galling result to Bonna fans. But the irony is, what happened? The Orange end up going to the Final Four. So in hindsight, you know, they clearly did deserve to be there. But but so did St. Bonaventure, and and Bonna was just not. You know, it's tough, you'd think, for a postseason game to come into the Riley Center, you're going to be toast. But Bonna was just in, of no mind. They were, that, player, that, that team was so let down. And if you remember, Jonah, that was the year where the bracket came out early. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody had leaked it. And, you know, we're sitting in the press room, and there's a guy in there, and he can t- he's calling out the teams before they're named by CBS. And the players were, were up in the, uh, in the Hall of Fame room watching, trying to figure out who they're going to play in the first round of the NCAAs. And they can see all of a sudden, to their, I think it was the Pacific region, they realize, hey, we're not going to get a bid. And they were, they were beside themselves. Everybody was crushed. Uh, there were tears. Coach Schmidt was, was just enraged, although he, <laughs> he put on a happy face for us. But... That was just such a disappointment that the fact that they lost on their home court in the NIT was very much to be expected. And this year, I think the view is a little bit different because of the one in four start. They've been climbing uphill all year. And I think now Bonner fans would look at that as a an awfully good reward. And the other thing is, with the NIT, Bonner has a history way back when pretty much all the teams in the NIT when it was the tournament and not the NCAA, we're from the Northeast anyway, the Boston Colleges and Holy Cross and so forth. So I, I think they would look at it entirely differently. And the other thing is, in the opening round of the NIT, you play a game at the Riley Center and that team is going to that's, that, that's gonna sell out that, that building. And so I think the entire circumstance will be better because I think even – when Bonner lost that NCAA bid and then had to settle for the NIT, I think even the fans were just 
emotionally drained, and th- there wasn't the same fire in the building. It wasn't a particularly good game. But I think this year the circumstances are such that it would be entirely different, and people still look at that roster and say, hey, wait a minute, this is a young team, and they've got two good years coming, or you'd certainly like to think so. Right, having a team that's mostly sophomores and freshmen like they are, a nice run in the NCAA tournament, or NIT, even one or two wins, would be a really nice launching pad for next season when you know you would assume everybody comes back, although you can never really assume that in college basketball anymore. But if everybody does come back, they're probably even better. In those games playing, especially if they can make a run, get some road postseason games, even get all the way to Madison Square Garden on a neutral floor, would really prepare them for what they need to do next year to be a solid NCAA tournament team. It's a little ironic because if I think if I look back, Jalen Adams was a sophomore on that team that – went to the NIT right. last with St. Bonaventure, but it's different. This is more of a sophomore-laden team than that was. Well, and what's interesting, too, about this team, Jonah, is um, four starters average in double figures, fifth starter averages eight, eight per game, and, that's, and that's, the, uh, that's the freshman, Justin Winston. But um, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the people do see this upside – Bonner is not in a situation where it ever has players leave early. If a player transfers invariably, it's because of playing time. So the circumstances for Bonner are really very, very good. And it's, I think it took a while for people to appreciate what Mark Schmidt has done. And, you know, here in Olean, you'd be surprised how far nearly a million dollars goes in Olean. It really goes far. <laughs> and uh, that's a, that's about where Mark is with his benefits and so forth, and and on merit because he's done so much with this team, and I know that in his heart of hearts he'd love to be coaching in a Power Five conference just because I think your ego directs you in that in that way. But Mark Schmidt's got this job as long as he wants it, and he's done a job here. The fans love what he does. He's bought, you know. So often in the history of Bonner, the coaches have been alums, you know, the, the, the Jim Barons and the Jimmy Sadlins and the, and the Larry Weeses and the Eddie Donovans. And so that was kind of the way things were perpetuated. All of a sudden, here comes this guy from Robert Morris. But over the years, and this is year 13 for Mark Schmidt, he's bought into what it takes to come here. And to me, the indication is the quality of players he's gotten. The one thing that's a little bit different now is, in the past, when he's had success, there has been an outstanding score or two. Jalen Adams and, and Matt Mobley, for instance, or, or a Marcus Posley and, 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 and uh, Matt Mobley. So he's had that. But this year... He doesn't really necessarily have a team that's going to go and drop 30 on somebody, but he's got four guys that have to be guarded, and really five when you count the freshmen. So this is a little bit of a different uh, dynamic for Bonner, but it's been a fun one to watch. Yeah, they play at a slow pace. I right. Think one of the slowest in the A-10, if, you know, they're not at the bottom near the country, but they're in the bottom third, I would say, looking at these numbers. But they are efficient on offense, so they – they don't score a ton of points, but they put pressure on you offensively, and it's not like they're winning only with defense and hustle and rebounding, which are trademarks of Mark Schmidt's system, but they're a good offensive team even though they're slowing it down. They, they are, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Mark's, Mark's uh, formula for victory is pretty, pretty simple. Don't turn the ball over. 
play good defense, and go to the boards. And they've done that. And, and you know, really, even of their nine nine losses, and I mentioned, you know, Oshun has been absent for, for seven of those. But, you know, they've, they've got – They've got four losses by by five or fewer points, so they've been right there even in some of their in some of their defe- defeats. They just are not the same team when Oshun Oshuni, you know, the six ten guy who can block shots and is a presence underneath. When he's not there, they're not quite the same team. Although, you know, circumstantially, when when he he was out, they they really got a couple of they got a couple of nice wins. And uh, that was well. They got one nice win, and and that was kind of surprising because it was on the road, and and uh, not having him in there does make a big difference. You mentioned some of these names, players that have played in previous seasons. Uh, Marcus Posley. Uh, now I'm drawing a blank, <laughs> but what, where Matt I'm Mowley. going here, Matt Mowley. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm going here is I read on the OTH website today. JP Butler reports that there's probably or maybe going to be a St. Bonaventure alumni team in the basketball tournament this summer. I don't know how much you know about that, but maybe you could just speak to how much you think Bonna Faithful might enjoy and follow watching a team like that. If people don't know, that's a, a tournament played in the summer for the winning team gets $2 million. They've sort of pioneered this Elam ending, which everybody loved at the end of the All-Star game, where you don't play to a time, you play to a score, and there's a game-winning shot in every game. Uh, you know, a team like that, who do you think might play, and w- what would you be looking forward to watching with that? Well, JP has kind of indicated that uh, that both uh, Posley and Mobley might be interested. Bonna fans would be supremely fired up to have a team in that tournament. And I really didn't know much about that until until this year. And then when JP talked to the guy who's trying to pull the team together, I, I really found it kind of fascinating. And my guess is with $2 million at stake, they're going to be some awfully good alumni-type teams. But that that is a, it's a really interesting circumstance for Bonna, depending on who they, who, who they can get. I, I think the one thing they absolutely have to get, for, for instance, Courtney Stockard is going to play, and, uh, but the, the problem is you, know, you don't have that dominating big man. You don't have an Andrew Nicholson who's playing in China. Well, he's not in, he was maybe playing not. in China. Yeah. Although maybe, you know, maybe that would play into their effort because of the uh, – because of the coronavirus, maybe I, I know the the, the league that that uh, Andrew plays in is suspended. And I, I, when he was here, uh, he, he was at here at a halftime of a game about a week and a half ago. Uh, he he was of the impression that maybe this season wouldn't be resumed. But you put a guy like that in there with the guards that Bonner could ship into that game, and all of a sudden you say, wait a minute. This team maybe could make some noise, but I guarantee you, Bonna fans would be out of their minds excited. Be a game against the Syracuse alumni team, Bayheim's Army, which I think that would be very interesting to oh, all of Western New sure. York and, and Olean. Wait, let me ask you this question before we get you out of here, because Tim's brought this up in past weeks. Tim wants to say that we should say St. Bonaventure is in Allegheny, because I guess on Google Maps, technically, it is in Allegheny. But I, my argument is. That sounds kind of silly. Bonaventure, the Riley Center, Bonaventure basketball is in Olean. Where, where do you fall on that debate? It you really is. It, well, I, here's how I solve that. Uh, and, and, Jonah, this works best for me. Whenever I, 
whenever I dateline a story from the Riley Center, I put St. Bonaventure because St. Bonaventure okay. actually has its own post office and zip code. Um, it is an, it absolutely is in, in Allegheny. Um, and it's in Allegheny by probably a good mile and a half, but a lot of people don't know where Allegheny is. If you said Portville, they'd say, okay. But certainly the, the, the tie you make is only, and, and don't forget, some of the great moments in St. Bonaventure history were made in the Olean Armory, and you can't get more in the middle of Olean than that site. So, you know, I don't think people care one way or another, but knowing Tim, I could see where he'd want to make an issue of that. That byline really matters when Olean's playing against Allegheny Limestone, right? It does, <laughs> exactly. All right, Chuck, well, we'll let you go. You're covering the Bonnies game tonight. Uh, you been hit by the blizzard yet? No, we have not. It's raining like crazy here, though, so they're on track. We just haven't gotten the snow yet. Okay. All right, well, that was Chuck Pollock from the Olean Times-Herald joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Jerry Sullivan took a trip up to Niagara County Community College over the weekend. We're oh, did he? we talk to him later about why he was there and what he – got out of that visit to right, junior right. college basketball. He's been saying he wanted to go up there quite a yeah. lot, so mm-hmm. glad he and made triple it up. And triple C ECC doubleheader, so he got to see oh, nice. both sides. Yeah, two birds with one stone. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Matthew Fairburn from the Indianapolis Scouting Combine, or I should say the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, after this. Tim Graham Show. Yes, I do have mnemonic devices that the we will Tim have. The Tim Graham Show. Prominent, prominent listener sent uh, this gift to me. I will have a big unveiling. Jim Brown's still a free agent. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Syracuse Orange play-by-play at Western New York is exclusively on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants, business consultants, and now outsource CFO contractors through its acquisition of CFO Solutions Plus. With roots in Amherst, CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, and now access to CFO level resolutions CTBK is available and ready to solve any issues your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Esau, and Kirshner. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Car crash? At William Attar, we fight to win. Insurance companies hate us. Clients love us. Hurt in a car? Call my son, William Attar. 444-4444. Call now. Main Street, Williamsville. Trust what he says. He's not just pulling stuff out of his room. This is... I mean, not Bill's takes, anyway. The Fan.
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on 1270 The Fan, presented by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Bobby, if you want to know more about them, you can follow them on Twitter at okay. CTBK. Write this down, 45. You got it. All right. CTBK45 on Twitter. No Tim today. We're not really sure. We know where he is. He's down in Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine, but unavailable we reached out to his PR guy to right. arrange an interview request, and they said he's not available. He's no not media access. Yeah, right. Not doing media today. Right. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's in his contract. Yeah. But. I don't know who he's with. Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic Buffalo, who is down in Indianapolis, also covering the NFL scouting combine, our normal co-host here when Tim's here. He is able to call in. He is allowed to do media today, so we appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Oh, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm missing the studio, but uh, this is the, the next best thing. Now, I have a take. I think Tim's not coming on the air today because of his wildly bad takes last week about Tyson Fury and Deontay oh. Wilder and how that boxing match was going to go. And Tim's a boxing right. expert. And he was Good not call, an expert Jonah. on these airwaves last week. Is that? Good can call. you confirm or deny whether that factored into Tim's decision to not do media today? It's it's impossible to say. I know that he he lost a non-zero sum of money on uh, those <laughs> fights. Maybe maybe not to me. Um, it's it's really it's impossible to say. I mean, it's been so long, but I don't know. I have not seen Tim today. Hmm. Um, we exchanged a few texts this morning. I don't even know where he is. So he's you, in Indianapolis. I know that. You are sure um, about that? I, actually, I can't be sure. It's been. I don't know, at least it's been about 12 hours since I've seen him. So I can't, He could, who knows where he, where he is. I'm intrigued, though, now that he's not on the radio. He must be doing something important. It's got to be. He's not on the radio. He said he had nothing to report, which mm. maybe, knowing Tim, that could mean he really does have something to report and he's kind of laying low. He doesn't want to give it away on the radio. He's really playing the PR game. Or he really has nothing down there. Like, I'm not sure. I know what goes on at the scouting combine, but I'm not sure how everybody down there, maybe you can enlighten us a little bit, what you're looking for, what you have your eyes and ears open for, and how this has become such a huge media convention over the years. It's not new this year, but over the last 10, 20 years, uh, coverage of the NFL scouting combine has grown exponentially. Why is it such a huge media event for guys like yourself? You know, I I think... You know, it started, of course, as a medical event um, in a lot of ways. That, that was sort of the history of it, is guys all coming and getting physicals in one place. You got the on-field testing. And, and, you know, a lot of people view it as sort of this unofficial kickoff to draft season or whatever else. But really, I think why it's become such a big, uh, you know, media event coverage-wise is everybody in the NFL is here. You know, pretty much everybody. Um, you know, and there are a few teams who don't send full staffs or whatever else. But you're talking... Uh, you know, every certified agent has to be here this week for an NFLPA meeting. Every front office type, every scout, every coach, uh, for the most part. Uh, and, you know, all the PR staff, uh, you know, anybody that works around the team. So it's, it's, a, it's a big convention is essentially what it is. And, you know, information flows more freely in, in, in person when you can have those face-to-face meetings and GMs are meeting with agents. You know, the free agent market starts to crystallize a little bit. Uh, the draft almost becomes secondary to free agency, I think, at the Combine, which is funny because, um, you know, it is a 
uh, a scouting event in, in a sense, but really it's more of an information gathering event, and it's a a chance for these these teams to meet face to face with agents and get you know get an idea of you know what they're going to be able to do in terms of bringing back some of their own, or you know what the market might look like, um, you know what guys might be hitting the market. It's a lot of that stuff, and that's what I think makes it valuable from a from a media perspective. Yeah, it's almost even though the NFL does have their own owners meetings coming up, I think they're next month or in April, but this is almost like baseball owners meetings, the hot stove and where all the action tends to happen in the off season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the NFL owners meetings, what's different about those is that yes, those, those have value in and you know, on their own, but not everybody goes to that. You know, that's like Terry and Kim Pagula will be there. They'll have some of their, their high up leaders in, in the, uh, the organization on the business side, Sean McDermott will go to that. Brandon Bean will go to that. And, you know, like Jim Overdorf is usually there. there. You know, so there's a handful of people from the team. You'll have some agents there for the same reason, just to, you know, meet with, with teams and stuff, but not every agent's there. Um, and, you know, scouts aren't there. You know, lo- lower-level people like that aren't, you know, there. So it's just not as crowded an event. Still a productive event, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, but I think the timing of, of the scouting combine in particular, you know, a couple weeks before free agency, um, you know, and there, there's just a, a greater volume of people. This is probably the one time of year senior bowl isn't this way. Owners meetings aren't this way where pretty much the whole NFL world is in one place. Uh, and a lot can get done as in, in a city like Indianapolis too, is, uh, very conducive to it. It's just, everything's all connected. Um, it's easy to get around. It sounds like the NFL is going to go for another money grab at some point and move this event um, maybe to L.A., um, maybe to Vegas. Who knows? Uh, there's talk that it might not be long for Indianapolis, but I know a lot of people in the league wouldn't be happy about that because it really is a perfect setup and um, a lot gets done in this you know five- to eight-day window. We're on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline with Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic Buffalo and normal co-host on this show. Another big reason you're down there is because at this time of year, this is, if not the only, the best way to talk to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and get media access and figure out what the Bills are doing in this business period of the football season. They both spoke yesterday. What were your impressions? Maybe let's start with Brandon Bean from his media availability and what he said and what he was asked about. Yeah, you know, he, he brought up a, a few interesting things and touched on a few interesting things. I, you know, the idea that they have had some uh, initial contact with Josh Norman uh, since he's been cut by Washington is um, interesting. I wasn't sure that that would be the case, and I don't know that he'll end up in Buffalo, but the fact that they're kicking the tires there is uh, is certainly noteworthy, and Brandon Bean was a little coy about it. You know, he played it a little close to the vest, but he did confirm that he talked to him, and I think that's uh, you know, something of note. And the other part, too, for me is just hearing the way he talks about extending his own. Every little thing he says is a little bit of a clue. And yesterday he talked about the timing of it. And he talked about how, you know, when they extended Eric Wood, when they extended Hauschka, when they extended Jerry Hughes, a lot of those got done after the draft in May. That's like a, a time of year where they, you know, tend to, to get those done. They don't do a lot when it comes right up to the deadline. And I know a lot of people are, you know, watching Jordan Phillips, watching Jack Lawson and wondering, you know, Kevin Johnson, Quentin Spain, what's going to happen. 
they don't have an extensive history of, you know, getting deals done under the wire like that. It's not really how they operate. They, if they have the conviction to extend a guy, uh, they're going to do it a year early. Now, some of these guys were on one-year deals, and so, you know, they were on prove-it deals, and, and, you know, so it's a little bit of uncharted territory, but I did find that interesting, and I think, you know, by the end of the week, we'll have a pretty good idea of, of what's going to happen with, with some of those free agents that they have on their roster, and then, you know, sort of the plan of attack that, um, you know, they're going to formulate for a couple weeks heading into free agency. I noticed when Brandon Bean was talking that Sean McDermott was able to get a question in. I think he shoved you out of the way to do it. When Sean McDermott was in the middle of that scrum, what was kind of the most interesting things that he said that you heard? Well, you know, um, I, I had some flashbacks when he jumped in and asked the question. It was uh, Shades of Rex Ryan <laughs> yeah. uh, a couple of years right. ago when uh, Julian Edelman had his conference call. So uh, taking a page out of Rex Ryan's playbook is not something we've seen him do often. But, uh, you know, guys think it's funny. You know, guys, they like players do it all the time. You know, you see those guys that jump in and think it's cute to, to, to join the media scrum, but, uh, you know, all in good fun. When he, when he was talking, he got a lot more questions about Cody Ford. Um, and that, that topic interests me, you know, in terms of whether they're going to keep him at tackle or move him to guard. And, you know, what's interesting is they're not, committing a hundred percent i think they're leaving themselves open to do either one uh and sean mcdermott said you know that they think they have an idea of where he fits best but they're not going to show their hand because maybe an offensive tackle is sitting there at 22 in the first round and they feel like you know taking a shot and moving cody ford inside the guard maybe they're not able to upgrade at tackle and they can't you know move him into guard and they keep him you know outside uh on the edge so I don't know. It's a big, arguably the biggest domino of their offseason is where they put Cody Ford because it, it determines a lot of what they have to do. You know, if you want Cody Ford at left guard, then you don't need to bring back Quentin Spain. And if you don't bring back Quentin Spain, that frees up some money to maybe go after a right tackle uh, in free agency or, you know, to go after one in the draft. Uh, and so, a lot of different things fall into place along the offensive line, depending on how they feel about their second-round pick from a year ago. So uh, we'll see what, what happens there. Uh, tough to get any read one way or the other, but I do think he's probably going to be best as a player at guard, but they still think he has the ability to play tackle. So we'll see uh, how that all shakes out in the, the coming months. Now, as the combine workouts get going this week and you get more and more availability with different players, what are you keeping an eye on at specific positions or types of players, or what are you most focused on this week down at the combine? I think wide receiver is the, the fun position to follow. You know, it's clearly a position of need for the Bills uh, and, you know, one that I, I think they'll address with at least one draft pick, possibly two draft picks. And so. They've met with a ton of those guys already and will continue to meet with those guys. The big names, you know, Henry Ruggs, LaVisca Chenault, T. Higgins. Uh, but even, you know, going down uh, a little bit, a name that I've heard connected to the Bills a, a few times this week is Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, the receiver from Michigan who was a big-time recruit, never materialized production-wise just because of the offense there. Uh, but he's a name that's been, been tied to the Bills. And another one I heard today that, that's pretty interesting 
that you know I plan to, to poke around on a little bit more is Jalen Hurts, the, the quarterback um, who you know started at Alabama, ended up at Oklahoma. Um, I wouldn't rule out a a draft pick at quarterback on a developmental young quarterback to back up Josh Allen. So um, that's something I, I hadn't quite thought of heading into the week, but now looks like a possibility. And, and running back, offensive line, edge rusher, um, you know, defensive back. There, there's really um, no shortage of of positions that they need or that they could upgrade. And so uh, they could go a lot of different directions in the early rounds. And, you know, with their pick being so late, it makes it even harder to pinpoint um, exactly what they'll do. But right now I'm leaning towards either, you know, offensive line, the right receiver if, if you know, the right guy falls, or maybe a defensive back there at 22. So they've got some options, and this is a, a talented class at some positions that, that, they, um, that they really need. You know, offensive tackle, it's, it's a top-heavy, loaded group. Wide receiver, ton of top end talent, and super super deep. So uh, it, it sets up pretty well for them in the early rounds. How much stock should we put into reports? Or I think some of this stuff gets just disclosed of what teams meet with what players. And having covered the Bills for a number of years, as you have, do those line up to who the Bills draft or to who NFL teams draft in general? How you know is this something that we should be paying a lot of attention to? Who they're meeting with and talking about and keeping an eye on this week? I would say people shouldn't pay as much attention to it as they do. They shouldn't get as excited about it as they do. It's a piece. It's a clue. It's, it's information. But it's not the end-all, be-all. A lot of times they're going to meet with guys and they want to eliminate those guys. You know, they're meeting with them to figure out if what they've heard from coaches or whoever else is true. And so they – you know, they might meet with a guy and cross him off their board. They might meet with a guy just so teams see that they meet with that guy because they know a lot of that information is going to get out there. Now, they used to be able to do 60 in-person interviews at the Combine. That number is down to 45. And so when it was 60 guys, you thought, well, geez, you know, good luck picking out which ones of these guys they met with that they're serious about because if they've met with a guy at the Senior Bowl, they don't meet with him at the Combine. They didn't meet with Josh Allen at the Combine because they'd already met him at the Senior Bowl. And then they brought him in. You know, they went out to Laramie uh, to, to, you know, see him at Wyoming's campus. I think they brought him in for a pre-draft visit as well. So all those, you know, all those pieces and the one spot where they didn't meet with him was here in Indy. So um, I think more so to me what I'm interested in is hearing, you know, from, you know, people around the league, scouts, uh, agents, whoever else, um, or, you know, people in the building about, you know, guys that, that they're high on. Um, and, you know, that doesn't always line up with who they meet with. Uh, and so I don't immediately look at, oh, they met with Henry Ruggs. They love Henry Ruggs. They're going to trade up and, and get him in the first round. I don't like to connect those dots. Like, they met with him. Cool. Interesting. But you got to dig a little bit deeper because simply meeting with a guy – is them doing their job. They're doing their homework. They want to have in-person, you know, face-to-face time with everybody that they put on their board. And they're able to do that in a lot of different ways. The Combine is just one of them. Yeah, it's interesting because I've never, or I've only covered the NFL draft from the other side of it, college players from either locals or UB players. And when you hear these things, like, ooh, Tyree Jackson met with the San Diego Chargers or the Los Angeles Chargers, 
you think, oh, they must really want him. That's the team that's going to draft him, and it doesn't always play out that way. But from the player perspective, you do tend to always think the teams that meet with you at the Combine or the Senior Bowl or anywhere are the teams that seem to want that player the most. Yeah, it depends how the meeting goes, right? You know, if you, you have a meeting with the Chargers and it doesn't go well, then uh, it indicates the opposite. So, you know, it, there's that part of it too, right, is, you know, sometimes those, those meetings don't go particularly well. What I pay more attention to and I think is probably a bigger clue is, you know, who they send to certain pro days or if they have private workouts on campus with guys, you know, guys like um, Saran Neal, safety for the Bills, who's in his, his th- heading into his third season. They sent, you know, their defensive backs coach down to, you know, his campus and, you know, a small school uh, to do, you know, kind of an in-person workout during the spring. That's a better clue, right? You know, that's like, okay, they're really doing some homework on this guy. You know, Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, went out to Oklahoma to spend some time with Cody Ford and, and you know, do some homework on Cody Ford. That's a good clue. Um, met with a guy. The other thing you have to remember about these combine meetings, too, they're 18 minutes long. You know, it's like speed dating. So, uh, you know, the in-person stuff at pro days and at private workouts or, or you know, the 30 pre-draft visits they can have at their facility – that's a little bit more involved, a little bit more in depth, and probably gives you a little bit better of an idea of you know who they're really, really interested in, as opposed to now. They're still so early in the, the process here that that it's tough to to pinpoint interest too much. All right, and what's it been like? I understand you've been able to catch up a little bit with another former Tim Graham Show co-host, Mike Rodak, up there covering all the Alabama players that are draft eligible. You know, how's Rodak doing? What was it like running into him here in Indianapolis? Oh, it's a, it's an absolute treat, as uh, as I know you guys can imagine. Uh, Michael is he's the same old uh, same old Michael that we all know and love. Uh, he's got his he's got his Bills opinions, uh, and he's had quite a bit to cover this week. It's uh, it's fun to see him. He's you know the whole group of us have been you know getting together the last couple of nights. I think we're gonna connect here again tonight and uh i know uh i know the 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 smart people in buffalo the uh the the savvy fans miss michael uh I a lot bill's, of folks probably I think bill's don't, twitter mi- I th- misses him even if it was someone they like to spar with i think his presence is missing and i really wish he would tweet out a lot of his bill's opinions some of them are obvious trolls but some of them are things that belong in the in the discourse that I don't know if we have as much of without Mike Rodak covering the Bills anymore. I agree. I, uh, I 100% agree, and I like still bouncing ideas off him because you know he's still paying attention. You know he's still got, got opinions, and he's covering college football. He's not completely removed from the NFL world, especially covering a program like Alabama where, you know, they're going to send multiple guys to the NFL each and every year. It's, you know, he's still – very much involved in, you know, kind of the NFL ecosystem, you know, obviously covering events like this. So uh, I'm with you. I think, uh, I think his, his voice is, is missed. Perhaps we need to have him on, on these airwaves soon. Perhaps we need to have Tim Graham on these airwaves soon. We do appreciate you, Matthew, for calling in and joining this show and not leaving us by the wayside like the namesake did. 
I will send out an SOS for Tim and, and try to figure out where he is and uh, reprimand him accordingly. Right, you're yeah, going to have to get a hold of the Indy police. All these listeners up here are worried about him now. Nobody really knows exactly his whereabouts <laughs> right. and why he is unable to do interviews today. He's been gone for longer, but we, we don't know. It's Who's to say? I, I'm gonna, I'll pin him down and report back, hopefully before you guys are off the air, so we can get a, uh, so a we live can put bulletin. the people at ease. All right. Excellent. We'll be waiting, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. All right, that was Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic Buffalo on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Coming up after the break, John Warrow is going to join our winning team, talk a little bit about the Sabres, whether they made enough moves to become a winning team and get into the playoffs. And we'll break that down with John in the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Studio with Bobby Rosati. We're going to be joined in a little bit by John Warrow from the Associated Press. Been covering the Sabres through the second half of the season. They're, they're swoon and, and Picking it back up, winning five or six to get back into contention for a playoff spot, then making two big deals at the trade deadline. I don't know if I call them big deals, but two deals at the trade deadline to make a bit of a push. They were buyers and sellers at the same time, but it does seem like Jason Bottrell and the Sabres organization wants this team to make the playoffs this season and isn't, not that they're not building for the future, but that wasn't the goal of the trade deadline. The goal of the trade deadline was to make this year's team better and improve the chances for this year's team, the Sabres, to make the playoffs and end their playoff drought. Which, what is it, nine seasons now, Bobby? Yeah, yeah, 2000. I thought it was more than that, but nine is the 2011, number, right? yeah, because it would have been the end of that year. So so it's about half as long as the Bills' Got playoff to. drought was, right. but it seems like longer because it's harder to make the playoffs in the NFL than the NHL and – I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like yeah, it at least an equal is. playoff drought? Right now, 16 teams make the playoffs out of 31. So in the NFL, you have what, 12? It's 12 now, and then it'll be 14. So even with the, with the new rules, if that ends up going through, absolutely. And you know what I think hurts even worse is the sharp and steep decline that they had. It wasn't like they just kind of fell off a little bit and they got, you know, their, their edges rounded off, and it was like, okay, they'll, they'll come back soon. They complete after Ryan Miller left. They just completely dismantled the team. It was like, I, I mean, we know about we know about the the tank and trying to get Eichel in that, but it just was so, it, it was so rock bottom. You thought it was gonna get back to you know at least something sustainable, something you could watch, and it's just it's it's pathetic. But not necessarily this season. There has right. been points this season that has That's felt that a great way. Point. You know, it was a lot of conversation in the last month about the Sabres when they were playing poorly and fans complaining about the game experience and different things like the alumni nights and the jerseys and right. those presentations not meeting fans' expectations. Yep. And there was a lot of – is bad will a word? The lack of goodwill was definitely I, there. Yeah, right, fans. exactly. But now the team is starting to win. And I shouldn't say starting to win because they opened the season winning – Nine to ten, something like that. Yep. I think ten yeah. one and one stretch to start the season. Sure was similar to the early ten game winning streak they had a year ago. Now they're sitting there. They're twenty nine wins, twenty five losses, eight overtime losses. I mean, uh, you you can deal with that, right? If it well, yes. About let me explain. So they're six points out of the playoffs. But John can break down. Yeah. We can break it down. But I was mm-hmm. hoping John could come in and kind of tell us a little bit about whether they're more likely to get one of the 
divisional spots or the wild card spots, who they have to pass, what needs to happen, what games are yep. most important down the stretch. But they're in contention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing for this Sabres team right. that even if they don't make the playoffs, how long into the season they can remain in contention is a measure of progress because their record right now, 29, 25, and 8, 66 points, that's where they were right around this date a year ago after this mm-hmm. many games. Jerry Sullivan tweeted that out over the weekend. So how much improvement has there really been year to year? They seem like a bit of a better team. Jack Eichel has gone from a great player to an even greater player. Sam Reinhart's playing better. Certain players are playing better. Some players aren't playing as well as they did last year. Jeff Skinner, at least not scoring as many goals. But as a team, I covered them for the Associated Press for a lot of the first half of the season, which included that opening stretch when they were playing really well. Mm. And I thought, this looks like a completely different team. They play better. They seem to be coached better. And the synergy between the players and the coach and the system and what everybody was doing seemed almost like night and day from a year ago with a very similar roster. Then it went south, and they started losing games, and they started playing inconsistently. Goaltending. Goaltending has been a big part of it. And you're a goaltender from when you played hockey, so you yeah, kind of understand that whether it was Linus Allmark in net or Carter Hutton in net really determined the Sabres' fortunes for a point in this season. And not having Linus Allmark for a while due to an injury was also a factor in the Sabres not playing well or not winning games and not performing in the standings. But – this is the pivot point. They went on a bad stretch from this point toward the end of the season a year ago, and it was another disappointing season, and it got Phil Housley fired. And now Ralph Kluger's in as the coach. They're in the same point they were a year ago from now, going on a four-game road streak, coming out of the trade deadline with the moves they made to add Wayne Simmons, Dominic Cahoon. Will that give them a lift? Even if they don't make the playoffs, they have to finish stronger than they did a year ago, I think, just to show that there's been some progress with this team and that a new coach shaking things up on the bench, making a few moves, maybe not a roster overhaul, but making a few moves and another year of experience for some of their younger players, Rasmus Dahlin, that has to pay off in some way. If this team finishes as poorly as it did a year ago, then what was really gained, what was really accomplished with the coaching change and should Jason Bottrell be given more time to continue what's now in the fourth year of his build. Uh, John Waro from the Associated Press has been covering the Sabres day-to-day much more thoroughly than I have through the second half of the season, through the trade deadline. We're going to let him, now he's here in studio joining us, we're going to let him kind of jump in and tell us, like, John, where do you think the Sabres are on this date compared to where they were a year ago? Is this a better team, yes. a better club than they were a year ago to this date? Yeah, uh, sorry for being late. Uh, by the way, um, so at least you're was, here. Tim Graham's not even here. I, I know. I listened to Fairburn's show, uh, the, the Fairburn segment, and uh, <laughs> now it's the Fairburn show. If, if you, well, there you go. Well, there's yeah. no Tim Graham, so yeah. I'll get back to your question. Your, your question, but it's like, but did but the thing that caught me about Fairburn was did he call it Laramie? Yeah, I think he did. Yes, yeah. I think he did. I believe it's called Laramie. You know, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it is. I almost drove off the road I, when I heard it. Okay, <laughs> so right. that was one of the reasons I was late. I didn't even aside think of that. from like being behind one school bus turning and then another school bus and whatever. But okay, I'm here and Tim's not, and I promise him not to break the show. So uh, that's the only vow I made. Um, Sabers, yes, um, this is a much better team right now today than it was a year ago. But they have the same record that they had. Right around this date a year ago. They did. 
They did, but as I noted, I, actually, I made a joke of this. They haven't caught up to this uh, to, to their collapse yet. They're oh, just God. they they finally the, the, this is the week where the collapse started, where they won, I believe. Um, they went two and uh, two oh two and sixteen or, or, or two two sixteen and one or whatever it was uh, before winning their meaningless last two games that actually didn't save Housley's job, which was actually a good thing. Um, and I credit Botterill for going and changing his mind and being open-minded and no realizing that he needed a different coach than Phil Housley was not the coach, which led the Sabres to what is making this team better, an actual coach in Ralph Kruger. Um, the guy has brought focus. He's brought, he is building, um, you know, that, 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 that loose word called culture, but he's getting, this team is finally getting to the point where they're getting rid of the players. They're realizing what players belong, what players do not belong. Uh, two of those, three of those guys left this team over the past week in Bogosian, Rodriguez, and Shiri. Um, they weren't going to be part of the solution, so it's time to go. Um, this team is playing with much more focus, with much more structure, um, and it's taken a coach who is very, um, I want to say, he's positive, but he's stern in his approach to wanting to get what he wants out of this team. Stern and maybe even to the point of stubborn when we see what he's doing with Jay, uh, with Jeff Skinner. Jeff Skinner right now is a second-line guy because he believes that, because Kruger believes that when this team is going, will be going good, Skinner uh, will, will, be, will, will provide that complimentary second-line scoring. What this team lacks is a second-line center. Um, They've lacked that, but they've got Jack Eichel and, and Reinhardt and Olsen going well, so that is a plus. The fact that Jack Eichel is having a breakthrough season on the ice, but more importantly, off the ice, he has become a leader. He has become an, a guy that can lead this team as opposed to a guy um, who was trying to figure out what it took to be a leader of a broken team. Um, and he's matured by leaps and bounds this year, and I credit him for coming to the realization of what it takes to be a leader. He's he's finally gotten that. If that if that's the one thing that the Sabers get out of this season, then that's a huge win. But they've got more in the sense that Kruger has finally figured out how what it's going to take to make this team work and it's a modest stat I got killed on Twitter about it because all the because it didn't fit the narrative that this team was a disaster that this team has not had had more regulation losses than wins all season long they came very close they were at I want to say 24 24 and 8 at one point and then they won they they, they continued winning and that is the sign of a team that is showing fewer inconsistencies. Yes, they had peaks and valleys uh, early on in the season, but that was kind of expected, maybe not to the same degree, but they haven't gone into the tank. They, as, as Jack Eichel put it coming out of the All-Star break, the wheels have not fallen off. Even though all the negative Sabres fans who think that everything needs to be changed out there think Changes need to be made. There is improvement being made here. 
Well, that's what I wanted to ask because a lot of that hand wringing from Sabres fans, m- maybe mostly on Twitter, but I think there's fans that go to the games and have been unhappy with the product on the ice this season and obviously in past seasons. Has that quieted down uh, the recent games that they've won, the moves that they made at the trade deadline, the fact that they are at least going to be, as the Bills famously were for so many years, in the hunt in this last month of the season? Have you heard Sabres fans kind of dialing back the criticism because of the recent developments and some success that they've had? I think they, you know, I, 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 I don't think they've gone away. I, I think they're waiting for the Sabres to lose 6-1 to one tonight in Colorado, and they'll be right back on top of the fire bottle, you know, bring, you know, make Kruger the president, and then bring in a coach and hire a – do something else. When this team needs patience, they might lose 6-1 to one tonight, but that doesn't erase what they've done over the past two weeks. Um, has Botterill made some mistakes? Indeed. The Jeff, I, I still question his his decision to, to to sign Jeff Skinner to that kind of a deal, but if that pans out and Jeff and they find a second line center and Jeff Skinner returns to be a forty goal scorer or perhaps a, even a thirty goal scorer um, to complement Eichel's line, that's great. Um, he made a mistake on Ryan O'Reilly. He should have traded Rasmus for Stalinen. I've been on record uh, in, in saying that for for quite some time. That said, this. This coach needs to be able to have this general manager needs to have the chance to fulfill to get a chance to see what he see what he can do with a freed up salary cap, which is which is where this whole thing has been trending towards. Let's see what he can do um, with what with what he's got now. Everybody complained about Gergensen and Larson's being resigned. Well, guess what? Um, that line with Oposo has been the most consistent line that this team has had over the past, you know, I want to say six weeks. And that, and they have found an identity based out, out of that line. That line drives them. And people were complaining about Gergensen's and Larson's. Well, Kruger wanted to, Bottle wanted to allow Kruger to find out exactly who he had and who he didn't. And by re-signing Gergensen's and Larson's to a one-year deal, that's that showed that that is paying off. It didn't pay off with Rodriguez, but whatever. Um, this team was was supposed to be an 86 point team in my view, and they still have a chance to be there. And this is what we're finding out what this team is. I forgot what the question was, but I'm tired of the negativity. It's as if this whole Sabres team has been locked in a vacuum. And I understand the fans' impatience, but for all the for the anti-tank crowd, the the drought is not eight years because you have to take away the drought years. So because those don't count because you were in favor of, uh, for the pro tank crowd. I'm sorry, you were in favor of the tank. So you take away the first three years of uh, of, of not of missing the playoffs because they weren't supposed to make the playoffs. So in in reality, to the people who were pro tank, this is a five year drought. I'm sorry. I that and 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 go at me on Twitter. I don't care. And I'm sure they will. People don't shy Hell from yeah, going yeah. at you on Twitter. No, I know. Whatever. I can take it. All right. We, let, let's talk a little <laughs> bit and maybe drill down a little bit deeper on the trade deadline. The moves yes. the Sabres made, Wayne Simmons, Dominic Cahoon. How is that going to affect the Sabres? Do you, how much insight do you have on who's going to play on what line and how they're going to use these two new players and how that might help them 
make a push for the playoffs. We don't know much about Dom Cahoon yet because I, um, if I remember, if I read correctly this morning coming out of Denver, uh, Cahoon is going to miss today's game, which is probably the smart thing to do. He's coming off a lower body injury that led him to miss the past two games. He's more part of the future. Let him see let him become accustomed to what this team does and maybe work him into the next game, um, which I believe is Friday. Uh, Simmons is, uh, is, is a longtime veteran, and I, I see him working on the wing on the second line, which is going to give that group a lot more net front presence, which is what it lacked. Um, so Skinner and Johansson, uh, Johansson, sorry, that was a Krugerism, I think, um, Will will benefit. They hope from from Simmons being that power type forward. The best years of his career have passed him, but he's still a player who can play well. Um, so right there, they've improved their second line. I credit Bottero for actually, you know, showing the faith and maybe rewarding this team by saying this team needs to. We need to see what this team can do when during meaningful games. And these are going to be meaningful games. Let's face it, the Sabres go 0-4 on this road trip. They're out of the playoff hunt. It's over. Um, but at least Bottle didn't dump everybody and signal to the team that the season is over. Let's see what this team can do. They've showed resilience throughout the season. Um, they've had some surprising wins, and they're rewarded for two very important big wins um, against Pittsburgh and Winnipeg, where I think everybody was really doubting, counting them out after this weekend. Um, they've survived through this. They're still in it. Um, mathema- well, not even mathematically, but on the fringes. Um, but that's where I, I see Simmons really... What really helps, too, with Simmons is that his veteran leadership, his playoff experience, and he's a good guy to have in a locker room who understands what locker room dynamics are all about. And I think that helps this team, too. Right. I don't know if they have a player on this team like Wayne Simmons or right. if they've had it in the last few years. <laughs> I, I, he's loose. He's he's vocal. Um, I think – they have that a little bit in Froelich, but Froelich hasn't doesn't have the reputation of a Wayne Simmons and isn't producing like Wayne Simmons should. Um, Froelich, How's that trade look in a few weeks in retrospect? Well, it it looks it doesn't look good because nobody could foresee that St. Louis was that Jay Bomeister was going to have uh, a tragic you know. Unfortunately, he's, he's fine, but you know this heart uh, event that he had, um, and it looks like had Botterill. St- Held on to Scandella, but it's it's damned if you do, if it's damned if you don't. He he was getting criticized for for not making a move. He makes a move uh, for a fourth round pick to help to, to get a veteran forward, and it turns out that he could have gotten a two a second round pick had he waited this long to trade Scandella. He might have even gotten more if you could have packaged him. Um, it's it looks bad. The optics are bad. Um, but Scandella today or. I mean, last week or two weeks ago, I don't know how big of a difference that was going to make. But to get back, I mean, Simmons, Froelich is a, is a guy who is upbeat and is responsible. He's not going He's not going to be asking to be traded the minute he's a healthy scratch, which has been part of the problem with this team that seems to be have been entitled 
for so long that players feel that they've had these jobs for life, like Evan Rodriguez, like Zach Bogosian, despite the patience that this team has showed through all the hip surgeries, wanting out. And that is a distraction in the locker room, um, and I, it's divisive. They need, to get rid of, they need to get rid of those guys, and they have. With Dom Cahoon, uh, correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, he's a restricted free agent this summer. Correct. It would seem the Sabres will try to re-sign him if you make a move like that at the deadline. Or What do you think the chances are of him being back, and what kind of long-term piece is he for the Sabres? Well, with a restricted, with restricted free agency, he's essentially – they can qualify him. Um, and I don't see – for a guy who's now on his third team in two seasons um, after he broke in with Chicago uh, last year – uh, and really proved himself as an adept scorer in Germany and an adept player in Germany. Um, I don't see Cahoon really making a whole lot of demands for a, a, a high salary. This is, I can see him maybe getting a, a two-year deal. Um, I think it, they, they can work out a two-year deal where it's a prove-it deal. He's not up for, he's not eligible for unrestricted free agency. I think for another two years, so this will take him up to his UFA status. Um, and they need to find out who this guy is. And Dom Cahoon needs to needs to show that he can stay, that he can he can he can thrive when he's got stability on a team that wants to keep him. And um, he was kind of the odd man out in Chicago for some reason because they were dumping. They, they, they were dumping, and he was also um, just didn't fit a Pittsburgh team that needed upgrades, needed more veteran depth, and that's why he became expendable, expendable for a guy like Connor Sheary who can play with Sidney Crosby. Is there any comparison, and you hate to make it right off the bat, and just and it's kind of easy because they're from the same team, but there is there any comparison or worry that the same thing could happen uh, with him as it did with Sheary? No, um, no. Um, I, I like the fact that one thing that he's a known commodity in Buffalo, which is really an odd thing to say because he's only been in the league for, you know, what, 18 months. But he played under – Don Granato was the Blackhawks' assistant a year ago, so he he's familiar with Dom Cahoon. And what's intriguing is that Ralph Kruger's son played with Cahoon on the German national team. So Kruger actually has watched this kid develop. Um, so – I, I like that connection, too, because now you've got two people on the team who actually know who this guy is and have a better idea of where he fits on this team. So the fact that they went out and got him, I think, is a very smart move because if Dom Cahoon is going to succeed at the NHL level, this is probably the best opportunity he's going to have. He fits right in with this group, too. I mean, if if he's not excited to play with Jack Eichel, I mean, I know it's one thing stepping down playing with Crosby, not to say he was playing with them all the time, but to not be excited to play with one of the game's youngest stars is, you know, so that says something. Restricted free agent, not commanding a big salary. He might be might be a good piece for the future, well, a really good piece. Right, and and it's 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 more difficult for a young guy to walk into the to be traded to Pittsburgh and have to produce on a team that has high expectations. In Buffalo, he gets to develop with a young core and become part of that group. So there's no pressure on him to have to score 20 goals or whatever at this point. Let him develop into who he is, and he's got a coaching staff that knows who he is and knows what his potential can be and can probably get the most out of him. I don't know. I've never, I, I don't recall seeing him play, so he's not really jumped out at me, mm-hmm. but 
Everybody seems to say that he's got some potential. I want to see him on the ice. I want to see him play, you know, for for two weeks and see where he fits. Because I didn't know who uh, Henry Yokiharu was either when the Sabres acquired him, and he's proven to be, you know, talk about the misses that Jason Bottrell's made. Yoki Haru for Nylander has become a very good trade for this franchise going forward. All right, John, we're going to take a break. Come back with some more Sabres talk. Coming out of the commercial, Tim Graham show presented by CTBK. No Tim Graham. Without Tim Graham. (laughs) Maybe he'll be here when we come back. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham, getting a good interview with OJ. At the end of the interview, OJ told Tim he's a positive person. You want to hear that? Okay. Whether or not there are words or not. Sports Radio 1270. The Doug or not. The Fan. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants, business consultants, and now outsourced CFO contractors throughout its acquisition of CFO Solutions Plus. With roots in Amherst, CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, and now access to CFO-level resolutions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. A Tyson's shot out of the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Take your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270-THE-FAN. Right back again for our last half hour of the Buy Tim Graham Show. Buy Tim Graham, that's his Twitter. Yep. Tim Graham Show without Tim Graham. I'm Jonah Bronstein, joined in studio by Bobby Rosati, John Warrow from the Associated Press. Talk a little bit of Sabres last segment. Break down the Sabres a little bit more, maybe get a little bit into the Bills. But we got a special guest who knows this 1270 studio very well. Jerry Sullivan, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm not in there, but I guess this is my much-anticipated return to 1270. What is right. this? You're doing? Did I see some kind of show about sports writers you respect? Something like that? <laughs> yeah, that's why Tim's not on. <laughs> oh, yeah. got him. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy. I'm, I'm thrilled to be included. Yeah, you made the cut. Or John you want my opinion? Chuck <laughs> Pollock, Matt Fairburn, and Jerry Sullivan, the Mount Rushmore oh, yeah, yeah, of Chuck Buffalo and- sports writers. There you go. It's weird to have you on the other end. Yeah, I know. I'm a little bit, a little bit awkward here. Usually, in there and talking to other people, but we'll make do. Well, we called you for your so, salty uh, sully and your thermostat. Right. You got to get all of that in one segment. I know. I haven't. I got salty to my wife the other day. It didn't go. You know, I <laughs> think that I was just, 
I've been holding it in for so long, and she happened to be there. And uh, you cannot get, get salty with Melinda. She makes such great Nanaimo bars. I know, I know. I finish those off. We ship most of them out. Yeah, she's a good cook. I got to be more respectful. How about the Sabers? They made you salty lately. Or you feel like they're playing well enough that you don't want to fire the GM yet? Uh, I would have fired him, but excuse me, I need I need water. But I, you know, I'm. I'm a far end of the spectrum. I think uh, I would have fired him for O'Reilly or Skinner. The Skinner contract is an albatross that they're going to regret for a long time. I know they, they want continuity, and, and that's fine. But I, I'd like to know what distinguishes Bato as some real personnel guy, because I don't see a whole lot of evidence. So they get hot, and that's the standard that we are at now with Buffalo hockey, that if you get within six points at the end of February, like that's progress. And they have played well. Their fourth line particularly, which, hey, <laughs> they're pro hockey players who are making decent money, and, and they should be performing. But do I think they're going to make the playoffs? No. I think they'll end up with 86, 88 points. It'll be a 12-point improvement, and it'll, it'll look okay, only when holding this team to the usual low standard. Well, Jerry, I mean, 80, if somebody said 86 points at the start of the season, and I believe I was the one who did on your former show, I think everybody would be happy with that. But it, 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 it's perception of how they got here, I guess. But 86 points um, is is a sign of, of improvement, especially given the debacle that um, the Housley teams were. Well, I mean, again, it's a pretty modest uh, standard, John. And yeah. uh, I don't think 86 points is anything to get excited about the NHL when more than half the teams make the playoffs. And, yeah, they were a disaster down the stretch last year. And their record is exactly the same as it was this time last year. And they won't collapse in the same way. But they just went 4-5 and five at home and lost a game to three different teams who were in the bottom five of the league. So I, I can't get too excited about the fact that they won a couple after that. It's it's a squander opportunity to me. And if, if you want 86 points to, to be seen as improvement, it is over last year. And they were the worst team in the league after the end of November. But I think fans should demand more from this team. And I would have, I would have, I understood what he did at the deadline. I mean, if you're, if you're a real critic who really wants the best for your teams, that was the worst thing that could happen. Because then they, that now they think they can make the playoffs and they didn't sell people off. And they're not going to make the playoffs and it's going to be what? Did they do the best thing for their for their team by by being a contender? It's it's a wounded general manager doing what's best for him right now. Should that be the standard now? If they made trades to try to position the Sabers to make the playoffs, should it be playoffs or bust? Maybe for Jason Bottrell? It should be. But John has a good point. I picked them to be like in the eighty-five to ninety-point range this year, just because. I mean, how could you not? They start the season with the most top ten draft picks of any team in the league, they ought to be good. You could argue that a 10-point improvement in the career year uh, for Jack Eichel with everyone a year older with better goaltending is not an improvement, really. Guys like Reinhardt and Larson and Gergensens and Eichel, there's about six of them who are now among the top 12 guys in the league and not making the playoffs in their career with with the most games played. Those guys have to start wearing that a little bit. But they haven't won anything. That's the story to me, not what's going to happen in the next 20 games. 
But what's happened for this five years? And and one of the reasons I believe certainly that Bottrell kept his team together and is going for it because what what is he saying to Jack Eichel if he if he gives up on this team the other day? I I fully understand what he did. But they're scared to death that Jack Eichel is going to at some point say, I've had enough of this. I think that we're – I, I want to see what this team looks like a year from now before I make up my mind on on Botterill. And, you know, in, in, the, in, in the segment before you came on, you know, I noted that there were some flaws and, and some mistakes that, that Botterill's made. Um, but I want to see what this team looks like a year from now – now that they've gotten some of the baggage gone, uh, some of the, 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 the guys who don't want to be here are gone. Um, and more guys will be gone before the season, you know, by, 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 by July. Um, so I know what Chad, and I can't say his, I, I can't say. Chad D. Domenicis. Yes. Been on the show yes. several times. I know what he said um, a couple of weeks ago where he said he doesn't have faith in Bottrell. Um, you know, running this team and maybe uh, and, and filling this team back up with talent. I want to find out though, because I, I would rather find out a year from now than cut bait. Because this team is, it, it comes back to the continuity, and I think Bottrell deserves one more year to show what he what his vision is. Because we're starting to see parts of it. Well, it's certainly an argument to be made, the, the continuity. I and mean, maybe he gets another year because of what he inherited. But just compare him to the other team in town. If the Bills were in the late in their third year and hadn't made the playoffs and were going to miss again, what would people be saying about Bean and McDermott? Maybe in this time they'd be saying, yeah, well, I'm going to wait and see. But you can't hold the team, teams to different standards. They, they ripped it down. They shipped out a lot of people, better athletes in their sport than the Sabres have shipped out. Unless, except for O'Reilly, and they got better, and they drafted well, and they brought in players. Now, NFL players are ready to play right away. It's different in hockey, so I think you have to give him time for Cousins if you think that he deserves more time. But I'll tell you, middle stats yeah. hanging around his neck, just like uh, 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 John. Give me, give me an example of a, of a great find that shows that he's a, a great judge of hockey talent. Henry Okaharu. Um, um, we'll find out about Cousins. I think he misjudged on Middlestat, and he should have been down the minors um, earlier. But let's remember too that aside from NFL players being more game ready, it's more di- it's it's a lot more difficult to to get rid of guaranteed contracts, and the ones that he inherited were almost impossible to get rid of unless you bought you bought them out. Um, and that and one way or the other, those those become albatrosses um, around that, that, that can really. Uh, sink a team as well so getting out of Bogosian's contract getting he's not going to get out of, out of a Pozo's contract but getting out of some of the contracts and some of the players that that he inherited doesn't it, it, we're, we're starting to see that now too and the fact that this franchise was set back by the Housley trade uh, the, the, the Housley hire which I don't think anybody a lot of people were complaining about three years ago but it became readily apparent that he was the wrong coach for this team um yeah, uh, th- there's question marks, but I want to see, because like like I've said, it's like it, it takes two to three years for, especially the first three round, top three picks of of a draft to filter in, um, and and show whether they can they, they can become players. But we're seeing that, and Olafson wasn't Bottrell's pick, but to to their credit, they they have something there. So. Uh, 
I, I, the impatience is growing, but I, I, I still say that this, 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 this GM needs to be able to work with Kruger. And I also, the other thing I want to say is that, that Bottrell built the previous team in part to fit Housley's vision. And unfortunately, Housley's vision was flawed to begin with because he couldn't coach. But so there's that too. He, he went out of his way to do what he could to, 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 to make Housley a good coach, and the roster that he built for Housley didn't work. I don't know what how much different he would have built it for another coach. I mean, he, you're supposed to find good hockey players. I, I don't know how much the vision of Phil Housley, such as it were, dictated the type of players he brought in. If you mean defensive players, guys, flawed defensive players, yeah. Montour and Miller were, were guys he brought in specifically for Housley and Scandella as well. So, um, you know, th- 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 those were, you know, when, when you get a coach, you, you, you build a team to, to that coach's needs too. Right. And he hired Phil Housley. Sure he did. So uh, his vision his vision certainly uh, in question here. But I, I think it is. a lot of what he inherited is the problem. I, I just don't know when people are going to start looking at the likes of Sam Reinhardt and saying he, he hasn't won anything and I'm, and his numbers don't impress me. And are we going to continue to blame other, other people and other positions on this team rather than say Sam Reinhardt is not living up to what he's supposed to be. And I wouldn't pay the guy. Well, and I, you and I, neither of us thought they should have paid Skinner. I mean, that's, that's a colossal. Just can't pay $9 million to a guy playing 12 minutes. I, I get that, but but for all the fault that Bottrell gets for paying Skinner, I credit Bottrell for for for, for not not locking up uh, Sam Reinhart to a long term deal, and I credit him for 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 signing him to a two year contract um, because it certainly showed that he was hesitant about uh, about locking in Reinhart and and and, and Reinhart's future on this team. I agree with you. I think they should trade Reinhart, um, and and I'm. Curious to see what happens this summer. Yeah, I think a year from now they it'll be interesting to see where they are because they, they just have too much talent, I, I guess, to to underachieve this way. And they do show spurts, but why they have these slumps? And they had a terrible slump this year in the middle of the year, and Reinhardt was in the middle of that. Why does he never score in December? I mean, it's an eighty-two game season, and that's what you look at. And if you can't sustain it over the whole whole year and put yourself in position. I don't want to hear about making a run to finish six or four points out. I just, I just, and I'm not a fan. I don't know what, what the average fan thinks, but I think they're sick of it. Anyway, I'm tired. I'm sick of talking about them. Back to you, Jonah. We're in conversation (laughs) with Jerry Sullivan, who's sick of being in conversation with us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. That was was quick. (laughs) But no, 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 I'm not, I'm not sending you away quite yet. I, I wanted to do the sponsor read to mention that you did get up to NCCC the other day, experience some junior college basketball in the Thunderwolf Arena, NCCC against Erie Community College. What were your impressions of that game and, you know, Niagara Community College basketball, men and women, are two of the most successful programs in Western New York. Uh, what did you think about uh, being up there for some junior college basketball? I was very, I was very impressed. ECC, and I've known Alex Noir for a long time, they were unbeaten in the league coming in that game, and they didn't have much to play for. But uh, N Triple C was a much better team that day, and I, and I thought I think Bill Beeline is a good coach. I'm actually uh, a little plug here doing a feature on him 
going to run, I think, in the Saturday uh, Gazette. But I think for for a junior college program, you know the reputation junior colleges have. I think the intellectual level of of that program right now, and I'm and I'm talking about Nate Butella with the women's team, Beeline with the men's team, is pretty high for junior college, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I and I use the word intellectual. I you know maybe I'm I'm betraying some kind of bias against junior college ball that sometimes tends to be you know. Well, no, they're all they're, it's a it's a level where every player is either a freshman or a sophomore. Niagara Community College men, Bill Beeline has been able to kind of run a program here where almost all of his players come in on a three-year program. They redshirt, they play then as redshirt freshmen and redshirt sophomores. So there's more maturity. There's less of the redshirting with the women's team. Nate's done a really good job recruiting us some really good, smart players. And also, as you mentioned, especially with the men, they run sophisticated offense that you don't necessarily expect to see with junior college programs. And I'll say you see them with other ones. They're not the only one in the country doing this. And I think that's the Beeline coaching influence. He does run John Beeline's two-guard offense, which is really the Nyland family's two-guard offense. And mm-hmm. him coaching under Mike McDonald at Madai, they were together. And obviously Mike McDonald's now at Damon, former Canisius coach. So he runs this junior college program in a lot of ways like an NCAA Division One or Division Two program. And it took a while for Bill Beeline, I think, to implement that and find the right players and learn how to teach. Because you are generally getting less mature or less academically inclined players at the junior college level, not always, but generally. And he's been able to bridge that gap between the players you need to recruit at a JUCO and then turning them into NCAA caliber players. And he's done that. He's got four guys, I think, in the last five years going on Division One teams, and he's got two more on this year's team, maybe more than that, that probably are going to be Division One players next year. Yeah, and then that begs the question, when's Bill Beeline going to get to that next level? You know, he says it's not. He'd love that, but it's not like he's chased it um, his whole life, and he's made maybe some sacrifices to have his kids in in one place. But uh, I, I think he certainly seems like a type a guy that could be coaching at D one. Yeah, it's hard. Junior college coaches get that stigma. Alex Moore has won, I don't know how many, but hundreds of games over the last twenty years at ECC. You would think he might have gotten an opportunity at a higher level. It, I don't. I'm not sure how much he's pursued that or wanted that. But it does. It is tough for junior college coaches, especially when they start to have long-term sustained success. They get typecast as a JUCO coach, and sometimes those guys get brought in as assistants because they can recruit junior college players. But they don't always get trusted to coach at different levels. When maybe what they're doing, I think, is harder coaching than with more talent and more infrastructure and support that you would get at a high major. Well, Jerry, and I remember you introduced me to, to Alex Demora very early on. We went uh, golfing together at Terry Hills, and I'm, you know, it's it's it, it's amazing that these guys, the, these folks, still are here. Wow, I, you know, I'd forgotten that. John. That's a lo- that's several years that's ago. That's like '03. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. I'm sure Alex had other offers, but he would have been in that, you know, stereotypical role in, in right. his case, including Nigeria. He's a he was the head coach of the Nigerian Olympic basketball team, but you know what? Why didn't he go on? I know there was an unfortunate yeah. uh, charge by a woman that turned out to be false. That that didn't help him. But uh, I think sometimes you do get you do get typecast as a junior college coach, and then you get a little older. You know, Alex is is, is no kid anymore, and Bill's over forty one, over forty years old. So that does happen, and uh, this it's so it's so competitive. There's so many. 
good coaches. And I think and one of the things that impressed me was just being in Bill Beeline's office in junior college and seeing the film work hmm. and how sophisticated things are nowadays in, in, in the sport. It's a little off top. It's about college basketball, but, you know, the, the, this conversation actually sparks something that I want to write about, you know, maybe in the next week or so if I get a chance. But Mark Schmidt still being at Bana for all these years seems to be a sin. I mean, it's good for Bana, but what he's done there is is remarkable in the fact that he's gotten some sniffs at Pitt, blah blah blah. But the fact that he that that he's been overlooked constantly, I think, is 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 somewhat of a sin in some ways for college basketball um, people around the nation. Yeah, well, we thought he was going to go a couple of times, and uh, Mike DeCaro, the Post, who's a Bana guy, he says he goes. Hold on. Okay. Pizza's there. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta get off the phone. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he checks the Boston College scores and he checks the Bonner scores because you know, they should have hired Boston College should have hired Mark Schmidt after his run of success, and they didn't, and they they haven't succeeded. And now he's at that age where he might be seen as a little too old to take over a major program. Although the top guys like Krzyzewski and Beeline are in their 70s now. Right, right. All right, Jerry. I know you got to go. I know the pizza guy's there. Yeah, right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks on for having me on. And Triple C Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. We're going to take a break, come back for another, our final segment of the Tim Graham Show on 1270 The Fan, presented by CTBK. We'll be back in a few minutes. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. I don't want to just uh, do a slap and tickle here. Yeah, slap and tickle can get us in trouble these days. Yeah, I'd give you consent, Ernie, so it's uh, no issue for me. Taking your calls at 270-1270. into it after the hour when we have more time to uh, spread our legs a little bit. This is Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. We're back. Tim Graham show on 1270 The Fan. Tim's on assignment. Jonah Bronston here hosting with producer Bobby Rosati. Guest in studio, John Waro. We got about six minutes before we got to get out of here. Syracuse basketball playing tonight. The pregame show is going to be on this channel and the game itself. They play Pittsburgh at 7. Another thing going on with Syracuse on Saturday, they're going to retire John Wallace's jersey. Hang his jersey up into the rafters at the Carrier Dome. Rochester native, John Wallace's son, Joey Wallace, is one of the best players on the Damon basketball team locally that's in the mix, probably a Division II NCAA tournament team this year, both the men and the women. So a little Western New York connection to what's going on with Syracuse basketball tonight, and they play North Carolina on Saturday. Afternoon game there. Oof. That's Bobby, a- are the afternoon games on this channel too? They are, Yes. All right, so this Tune is in. your radio home for Syracuse basketball in and Western New York. Two hours of the Tim Graham show every week, yeah. even if Tim Graham 
Is isn't here, here yeah, or around or can be found. It's like, is he? Yeah, no report from Fairburn. Yeah. He usually, he said he was going to check in. That's concerning. See. That is concerning. I'm not concerned. <laughs> and, John, you're also not, not concerned about the Sabres, not as much as Jerry Sullivan and some of the vocal fans. You think they're headed in the right direction, even if it's uh, slowly going in that direction. I, I, I think we're finally seeing progress on a team that uh, is, is showing signs of progress, showing, showing signs of development, showing signs of have, actually having a vision. Um, Kruger's a big factor behind that. Um, and uh, I, I'm curious to see what what he what he can do once he now that he's got a grasp of what this team is all about. Um, he's he's laid the foundation uh, for a team uh, for for this team having success. And next year is a big year, but they I think they finally have found the coach who can who can lead this team. Um, he's captured something in in Jack Eichel, who's playing uh, out of this world would be really in the MVP conversation if they make the playoffs. Um, so, you know, I, I get it. I, I, You know, there's a lot of frustration, but I don't see the same bad signs. I get a different vibe in the locker room. I don't hear the same complaining, the carping um, of a team that was fractured. Um, this is a team that is starting to move in the – each player pulling in the same direction as opposed to trying to pull it apart. People want to talk about Evander Kane. Guess who got guess who got benched last night? Evander I'm gonna Kane. guess Evander yeah. Kane. <laughs> Evander Kane. You know, this is this is the 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 the, the, the past team was built around the trade of Evander Kane and Zach Bogosian, and it didn't work. That was Tim Murray's biggest. He, he missed. He missed. Talk about general managers. Managers who have missed. What did Tim Murray do to rate all this? All these accolades. He built a flawed team. Oh, he drafted Jack Eichel. Jason Bodrell drafted. Well, yeah, sure, but he wanted Connor McDavid. Right. He wanted Connor McDavid. Um, so I, you know, there. This team is finally emerging from that that cloud of of, of just. Whatever that was under the tank years, and you're starting to see something fresh emerge. Are they going to be a playoff team next year? Well, I I, I think for the Sabres fan base, they need to be. Um, and there are there's nothing right now that tells me that they won't be in that position a year from now. Um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and maybe Jason Bottrell's got to go. But right now... I just I don't think you you, you topple this thing you, you you pull it all apart just because you're just because of impatience. I think the the patience is here. This team is poised. Maybe where the Bills were, you know, when Bean and McDermott, and maybe this is where Bean and McDermott were in their second year with the Bills. All right, for those of us that don't want to be that patient, yeah, I in, in in a minute or less. Or we we got about two minutes before we got to get out of here. So you want me to talk faster? No, no, no. I just want you to <laughs> to give us your take on the the here and now. How much of a chance do the Sabres have of making the playoffs, catching these Slim. teams that are in front of them? What is the path? Is it the wild card? Is it the divisional? It's got to be. It's it's got to be. It's got to be. They've got to catch Toronto, um, and they've got to vault the uh, the Florida Panthers in order to do it. Florida actually sold at the deadline by giving up on Vincent Trocheck. Um, 
it's too bad the Sabers didn't land that guy because they were in them. They they were eyeing him, but I think the price, they were going to have to give up too many a- young assets to get Vincent Trocheck, um, especially with Cousins still there. Is this team going to make the playoffs? I would be highly surprised if it happens. I think they're going to play somewhat over 500 over the final 20 games of the season and fall short. Um, is that 12 wins out of 20? That's not going to be enough. How many points do they need on four-game road trip starting tonight in Colorado? Oof. And it's a tough one. Colorado, Arizona, um, and then they come back and play uh, Pittsburgh. It's they They need five points out of eight at a minimum to stay in this thing and hope that Toronto doesn't start figuring things out. All right, John Waro, Associated Press. I'd like to thank our other guest today, Matthew Fairburn, normally a studio co-host, was a guest on the Thunderwolves hotline this week. We also talked to Chuck Pollock from the Olean Times-Herald down there covering St. Bonaventure. They play a big game tonight. Jerry Sullivan checked in to sort of throw some cold water on all of this excitement John Waro has over the Sabres. I'm a Not, homer. Nothing from Tim Graham. Hopefully we'll be able to catch up with him next week on why he just went missing in action. I think he's got a big story he's working on, and that's why nobody can find him. He's off pounding the pavement. Bobby Rosati getting Diddling the, game ball. the knobs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Tim's catchphrase. I don't Diddling really like to the say knobs. That. John, you like saying that. Well, it's fun. All right. Tim Graham show presented to you every week by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. On Twitter, CTBK45. 